Tone Benders, the Sound Designers Podcast. Here are your hosts, Timothy and Renee. Welcome to Tone Benders. My name is Renee Coronado, and with me today, as always, it's Tim Muirhead. Hey, Tim. Hey, Renee. How you doing? I am doing awesome. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. I am at Renee underscore Coronado and Tim is at Azimuth Audio. Tim, you went and got to talk to Nicholas Renbeck. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is part of the trip where Teresa and I went to New York City. This is over a year ago now. And we went to C5 Sound, which is one of the busier studios in New York City. And uh, it's really interesting always when we went to the New York City studios, because when you go to studios in other cities where there's more space... There's just more room where C5 Sound, they're doing all sorts of great work and it's all stacked on top of each other on different floors of this building in uh, Manhattan. And it was cool to see the way that they set stuff up. So we interviewed Nicholas. I got a hold of him uh, because he worked on the HBO series, The Night Of, which is one of these series that uh, if you haven't seen, I highly recommend it because it's uh, one of those series where you're screaming at the screen to tell the characters not to do the stuff that they're doing. Like they, the guy just keeps making bad mistakes after bad decisions. And uh, I, it sucks you in and it's really, I don't know if fun is the right word, but it was an <laughs> enjoyable, uh, enjoyable series. And Nicholas was the sound supervisor on it. So when I saw it, I immediately reached out to him to see if I could meet with him when we were in New York City. And uh, luckily he was, he was very game and uh, he was a super interesting guy, super friendly guy. And, uh, I'm really glad that we got to sit down with him. Nice. Let's check out the interview. So the first question that we asked him was, since the interview was at C5 Sound, uh, what his affiliation with C5 is? Uh, well, I started here as an apprentice. Uh, Rombo Carr, one of the owners, uh, he went to the same uh, college that I did and actually came back to give a talk uh, about Silence of the Lambs at, at the time. And uh, uh, he brought up these three-quarter-inch videotapes of uh, Clarice going down into the basement to, to, to see Hannibal Lecter at the first time. And he goes, well, here's the background pass, and, and here's the door pass. And, here, and I remember sitting in college with him just thinking, oh, this is great. This is awesome. And, and just, then, I, then I bothered him for uh, three or four years. Hey, do you have an internship? Hey, do you have an internship? And finally he says, come on in. And I sat in the back of the room and watched him work for a, a day and, and kept my mouth shut and, and then asked a, a few questions uh, and he said, oh, I, I, guess I, I guess I did all right because he said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll put you on as a, an apprentice. And so I became an apprentice on the, uh, the movie Philadelphia. Oh, and cool. so I, I would say it probably like 70 or 80 percent of, of the work uh, I've done has been through C5, but uh, Soundtrack, Harbor, Postworks, Warner Brothers, all those I've been in here and there depending on the project. So officially freelance, but uh, happy to happy to work at all these shops. But C5 it's, uh, has really, they've looked out for me uh, a lot. And so I'm always always happy and appreciative to be, to be here when I cool. can. You mentioned that when you sat down for the first time, you stayed quiet. That is something that I think a lot of people don't know when they're trying to get into this business is to sit in the back and be quiet. Because I've had people sit in with me that just talk the whole day. And at the end of the day, I tend to tell them to take a hike. <laughs> so it's a, one of those weird things that uh, people might not think, but is super important to stay quiet, ask you questions at the end of the day. I had to relearn that once I became an editor and, had my, and was able to go to the mix. Uh, uh, at first, you know, with a, coming in with my my dialogue tracks for the, the mixer and I'm saying, well, this is right here and this is right here and you can do this and do this. And yeah, I just realized again, shut up, let the mixer have his his or her moment with the material 
and so that they can, you know, I've been working on it for days. Mm -hmm. They're just looking at it for the first time. He or she is just looking at it for the first time. So be quiet and then, oh, that, that works well too. Give people space to do their work and help when you can and, and step back when not needed. In some cases, less is more there, as, as you say. So. It's also a thing I find sometimes about being able to let go of your own ego. Like you've spent days building something a certain way, and you, in your head, that's how it's got to be. Then the mixer comes in and sees it a different way, and you have to just set back. Right, and you've, you've based it off of the, the guide tracks to the best of your ability, and now you suddenly have a new music cue, and you have uh, the dialogue is cleaner, and things will play differently. And then the director will come in, and, and he or she has, so a totally, both wrong. has a totally different <laughs> idea. Right, it, initially, that's hard to, again, it's another learning step. You've had to learn to, to kind of let go. I don't know if it was uh, Eugene Garrity, I was talking to him, or, or it might have been him, uh, but someone just say, I, I do everything in my cutting room, and I get it the way I want it, and that's it. And then I send it off, whether I should go up to the stage or not, if I'm on the stage, or, you know, then, but that's somebody else's at that point. So I, I'm, I'm happy with it when, I've, when it's left. And I think w once you kind of adapt that into your working uh, process, you can feel good about what you did, but knowing you're just one part of the step, because there's, you know, there's a screenwriter, there's a director and the actors, there's the sound recordist on set, and then you come in and do your part as the editor and then and the mixer does their part. And so that's all, you know, you're just one of many of five or six different spots along the way. And we come in relatively late. For, so for, for, for us to ever think that we know exactly how it should go is sort of uh, maybe presumptuous of us. Mm -hmm. So I always say trying to figure out what the director wants, try and, uh, try and give him that, give him or her that, and to... Uh, you know, and work towards the betterment of, of the project of the film. You're listed as working on just about every section of Pose. You're supposed to supervisor, you've got some credits as mixer, you've got some credits as dialogue editor, some credits as sound effects, uh, and some credits I've noticed that you're both uh, the re-recording mixer and the super. I personally find it hard if I've supervised the show to also have my hand on the faders, because like you were saying, I want to just hand it off and let someone else, because I find I'm too biased. Yep. Do you prefer to do the whole thing or just hand it off? I think that has to be on a film-by-film film basis and what's sort of expected uh, along the way. Some cases I've found that, be it a smaller film or a documentary or something of that nature where I'm the supervisor and I do a lot of the mixing, if I'm the only mixer, that, that seems to work out, that's worked out well. It's interesting when uh, sometimes you'll see a credit as supervising sound editor and re-recording mixer, and I've just done, say I've done the effects pre-dubs. And sometimes that goes to the stage and then the other mixer will, will tweak what I've done. In other cases, I sit at the board with the prime mixer. So when you see that when there's two mixers, usually I'm, I'm sitting second chair in that regard to the, to the main mixer. And on smaller jobs where I am the only re-recording mixer, then that's, I'm sort of bringing it from from edit all the way through. I'm editing and mixing as I go. But yeah, in terms of doing ADR, doing dialogue, doing sound effects, supervising or, or mixing, I think after being an apprentice and then an assistant and watching, I, it was interesting in the 90s coming in at C5, we had three or four supervisors, Rambo Carr, uh, Skip Leave, say, uh, uh, Phil Stockton, uh, a few others that were in. So there's a lot of shows happening at the same time. Uh, and I was primarily Ron, Ron Bocar's assistant, apprentice and assistant for a while, but I would assist for, for the other two guys as well. 
But you'd have three projects like John Sayles, uh, Martin Scorsese, Ang Lee, uh, Nora Ephron, Mike Nichols. So I get to walk over and I'd see what's going on in the Foley stage, see those guys working. We were all under one roof at that particular point, a different location. See how the dialogue editors are working, see how the ADR editors, see how the sound effects. So I get to, I watch all the, all these different films and then we hit a pre-dub stage at that point so I get to see all that and it's like, and then I was given the opportunity to be the a dialogue editor. I had a lot of fun with that, and, and uh, but then I started looking around and going, you know, there's these other things that I'd like to try too. And so when a smaller film gave me the opportunity to be the ADR editor on it, because we'd cut everything and just the way the schedule went, oh, there's now we're going to do the ADR. So okay, so I'll, I'll try that out, and I liked it. I did that, and I've been eyeing effects for a, a long time as well. And so finally, that opportunity gave to me, and so I, I took that as well. Uh, and then I just sort of like I sat and watched how people mixed as an assistant or as the dialogue editor on the stage or when I started supervising, just sit and would watch how other people would handle stuff and then started figuring once we we got away from it uh, you know playing out of the Pro Tools or the task cam or in a Kai or whatever it was at that or 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 full coat when I started you know into playing out of uh, the Pro Tools and having the, the plugins there. It's like, okay, I, I understand how that works. You know, I understand this workstation so I can kind of start seeing how these things can work. And so partially teaching myself, asking a lot of questions of other people and just sort of moving forward and, and, and what, what sounds good, what doesn't, let's, let's take it in this room, let's go here. And I realized the industry, as technology increases, schedules get shorter, it's good to have an understanding of how everything works. And I enjoy all process of it, probably with the exception of cutting footsteps. I, that's, that's, I, my hat's off to those guys. They are the, the guys that do that and consistently do it over and over, made a career out of it. I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of that. I, I, I never want to do it, but, I, but I'm in awe of, of, uh, of them being able to sit there and, and you know, every once in a while I can, I can pull it for an afternoon or something <laughs> like that. But uh, so it's just, I just thought, let me see, the more hats I can figure out how to wear, I think the better for me in some ways is the more enjoyment I have. You know, it's nice to come into a job, oh, I'm gonna be the sound effects editor on this, put that hat on and enjoy it, or, and then on the next show, I'm gonna be the dialogue editor. Oh, I don't have to go searching for sound effects. Mm-hmm. I, get, I just have to work with what I have and make that work. So it's different, different mindsets. Or oh, ADR, okay, I get to meet the talent, work closely with the director that maybe I wouldn't otherwise. So it, it, it keeps it fun, it keeps it, uh, it interesting. And, and it allows me to work with a lot of people here in New York, which I appreciate because there's a lot of there's a lot of great talented people here and a lot of great supervisors, and it's nice to keep working with them and getting to you know and getting to see what's what's you know because as people's careers move, they they expand, they learn new things, and if you can keep kind of saying, oh, I get to work with this person now who I haven't had a chance to work with in two years, and oh, this is neat what you've been figuring out, and this is what I've been doing, and. It's nice, keeps it fresh. So The business, I'm assuming, in New York, the way it has in other places, the big studios don't have as many in-house people. There's lots of freelancers. Uh, am I right that New York, the number of in-house people has been falling off? Well, I don't know if there's ever really been a ton of in-house people. Oh, right. I, would, uh, I would say most people are freelance. If you, like, C5 is owned by three sound, sound editors. So, uh, but everyone else that works here is, you know, uh, as editors are freelance, we, we're hired on the job, we come in, we do, the, and the same, you know, Harbor is, there's four sound editors that are, uh, uh, four supervisors that have uh, attached to that place, and so, and they, they will work, they'll only work out of there. Warner Brothers has a couple of people that call that home now, but again, I think it's all sort of your, 
hired by the job, paid not by the, the sound house itself. Um, Real estate in New York is expensive, so sometimes all the sound editors are under one roof and working, and sometimes uh, sometimes there you know, there's a few people working elsewhere. So, you mentioned earlier you got to sit in and learn slowly and work your way up. Right. In the freelance system, it's harder to do that. I was wondering if you had any advice for people who maybe have just finished school, how they can mm-hmm. kind of get their hands on uh, the experience. Right, I was been I've been thinking about that uh, a lot recently because on number of the budgets that you have and schedules you have to put together these days, the apprentice is not it's not part of that unfortunately just due to the numbers. Uh, and you know you have assistants that they're going to be wanting to move up too. Question is then who's coming in behind? I mean they need a place to be able to go, right? So there has to be the amount of work enough work to keep everybody to they can move up and some people I guess will eventually retire, but. You need apprentices. I don't know if I have an answer for that. The technology changes as well, so it's not like when I went to film school, it was 16 millimeter film, benches and flatbeds. The effects guys were working on slink levers. Uh, they just bought all these sonic solutions for the, the, the dialogue editors. So the technology will keep changing, so I guess it's just a matter of trying to figure out giving the basic overall knowledge of how the flow of work goes from mm-hmm. coming into you know, how, it, how it comes into the sound house and how we deliver it to the stage. And, but just getting that, teaching the steps along the way to the, the an intern or the apprentice. And, uh, um, you know, you look for those larger films where you can have an option where you can have an apprentice and then figure out how, how someone comes in. I, I you know, I, I wish I had a better answer for that at this point. Well, I think that's everybody's answer right now. Right. The industry kind of as a whole has to figure this out. Right. So uh, to change gears a little bit, you recently wrapped up working on The Night Of, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is universally rave reviews. Everybody has talked about how great it is. How do you approach a TV show that's, that's really more of a film than a TV show? Right. Well, I mean, it's an interesting... It's. They had done the the first episode was all completed. They had done a whole version of that because uh, James Gandolfini was mm-hmm. going to be part of the show. They had done they had done a mix of that out in L.A. So that kind of set the tone for how we were. You know, we saw what they had done, and the director Steve had been real hands on 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 that. And then when they were cutting the other episodes, Warren Shaw, who's a supervisor who works both in New York and, and in L.A., he was out this, again before we at C Five uh, came in. Um, he had been out with them for many weeks, working on the the latter four reels, coming up with sounds and kind of and and helping them kind of suss it out. So when I came in to sit down and watch it, they had spent. I mean, they were. I want to say like eight or nine months of, of editorial that they had done, and they had they had thought a lot. I mean, Steve had thought a lot about how he wanted things to sound. So we came in being. I mean, substantially impressed. Go, okay, we've, what can we add to this? Definitely, we're going to add the foley. We're going to clean up the dialogue. We're going to figure out that. And how do we address the sound? What can we add more to it to fill it out more, but stay to what the same idea he wanted? How do we build on that, uh, give him more of what he wants? So it took a little bit of time to figure that out. Uh, but I think we, we definitely got there. Uh, but one thing I find that's interesting in the whole design of the night of, we, we didn't shy away from having a heavy background in some place. And then you'd sit there and then specific effects would just sit really loud on top of that as well. I think it, it works too. It, it works well. It sits, it sits well. Um, 
but you know, it's like, wow, this is this is a little heavy. I'm, are we go, are we in the right direction here? Have we made it? Have we gone too far? But like, I probably would have pulled back. But he's like, no, go forward. And then it's like, oh, okay, I see where you're going. I see how you're, you know, how we're how we're gonna move on that. And Michael Berry was uh, the re-recording mixer. He did, uh, and did a fantastic job. How do we approach it? We just it was like sort of a all hands on deck at at the beginning. It was a big push. It was a it was definitely a push. But once you you we were we were doing all the episodes at the same time. Oh, wow. Sort of. I mean, you know, there was a schedule, but we were we were cutting everything, and then we went and mixed everything. So yeah, as opposed to other shows where I've done where you you knock out an episode and then you move on Start to the next, the next thing, one, you yeah. stop the next thing. We were doing them kind of all at the same time. All the you know the Marissa Littlefield's our uh, ADR editor, so she spotted the whole the whole thing. The group was an interesting thing, you know, you have to figure out what groups do we need, who should we feature in certain episodes, because the way contracts work, you can only have certain people for a certain amount. We we knew we could have like eight actors per, and so how do we fill that out? Because there's a lot of voices going on, be it in uh, Jackson Heights or when we get to the the court scenes or in the prison. So who's what's happening the most and who do you cast to, to fit that? You know, there was like how to, like footsteps in the prison. The set is all painted so, plywood, so we're trying to figure out getting that sound right. It just kept going. It was just, it was like, we just like come up for every once in a while and then just dive back down and, and keep at it. Steve was great and intense and had his ideas, and Nick Huey was the picture editor, and, and he did a great job in cutting that show. Part of what you were mentioning about how the BGs were up a bit higher, it made the city part of the film. But in the first episode when they're underneath the bridge uh, on the water, you could hear the bridge really loudly. Yeah, there was a little something there, and then we, we looked a little bit more for trying to figure out the trucks going over the uh, you know over the metal the large yeah, the metal great, plates yeah, metal yeah. plates that you would hit. So yeah, that was definitely our, our conscious on our on our idea. To... There's space in it when decisions are made that are catastrophic for the audience to go no. <laughs> like, I kept like actually saying out loud like no don't do that. <laughs> and there was actually like almost like you guys designed it so that I had that moment to react. And then get back into the picture. <laughs> the pacing is well done. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so when you are supervising, mm-hmm. how hands-on are you with the various editors that you're working with? Well, it depends on how long of a relationship we've had up to that point, how much we've, we've worked together. If we're completing each other's sentences, which is, mm-hmm. I have you know some friends of mine, we work together, and we never actually have to complete a sentence. I can kind of give an initial meeting with them and go. It was my first time working with Luciana and Sarah as dialogue editors on the show. So we sat down and of course then starting out on dialogue, you know, I know exactly what I would want in terms of how I want things prepped. So the great coverage on, on the miking, the guys, the location recorders, they, they covered a lot. But the hiccup that we came into that is that there's some phase issues where that we would come around with as the guys moved around to different mics. And so, you know, Sarah and I had a substantial initial conversation about how we're going to handle that phase issue. Do we want that? You know, do, where do we where we don't want it? How are we going to address it? You know, and so then she and I talked, and then I had the same conversation with Luciana a little later, and so we kind of came up with a game plan on how that worked. When Marissa and I would sit for the ADR, we'd sit down, we'd have an initial conversation of how that went, and then meet with the group guys when they came in, and we'd all have a meeting with Steve, and then they kind of ran with it. Um, Wyatt Sprague and Rui Garcia were my uh, two effects guys that came in to work with me on that. Initially, the budget was just going to be me 
as the effects guy, but we were able to bring them in and, and add them onto it. The three of us worked really pretty closely. We, we'd come up with something, they'd send it to me, I'd put it in, and then once I'd finalize a scene, I'd send it back to them for later. Steve was, was able to come in and sit down with us for the, you know, episode two, three, and four, and we'd play down everything we had gotten up to that point. So he would see where we were, get his feedback, get his notes, and, and then apply that, know what we needed to grab from like the last couple of ones that Warren had done some work on, and, and sort of combine it and mix it all together. So hats off to Warren for all the work that he did before, and to the, the guys at Famosa that did the temp. Did get changed a fair amount, but everything they did added into it. And it was like having a much larger crew than, <laughs> than we, we did, so, but it was very nice in that regard. So. So when you're doing spotting sessions, you're doing them sitting down with each individual food group. You do a spotting session with dialogue, you do a spotting session, or do you have one spotting session that everybody comes to? I, I've done it individually. Craig, uh, the assistant on the job, he would come along with me to with, with each of them and we'd talk. You know, the Foley guys at this point, Steve Vischer is uh, our Foley supervisor. He and I worked together a, a lot. This was our first TV show we had done together. So we definitely had some conversation about how much are we gonna do? How much can we do? You know, what, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think in some cases we got it right. In some cases we went a little, we did a little too much. And in some cases we did, <laughs> we did a little too little. And so you had to figure that, figure that stuff out as you went. But, uh, but you know, those guys, Marco and George, uh, is our, our Foley team up there. They're fantastic. And, and Steve had it just running, running smoothly. So yeah, I mean, I can't say uh, enough good things about the crew. I mean, that's, I, again, that's what makes any job that is successful for me has always been based on having a, a really excellent group of people that I work with. And again, I think New York's filled with them and it's, just, it's nice, it's nice when you get to work with people that you like. So it's, again, I'm extremely fortunate in that regard. So. Are you originally from New York or? Yeah, Hudson Valley area, just uh, uh, 50, 50, 70 miles north of here. So, yeah. so you mentioned that you started in the 90s. I wonder if you could comment about uh, how the New York post audio scene has changed since you started out. Well, like I said, when I came in, it was Sound One and Tadeo were the two big mixing houses for features. It was those two houses in C5, Skip and Ron and Phil and Bruce Pross, who was their original fully recordist. Those four guys had been working out of Sound One. They wanted their own shop, so they came up and, and built their own place here. The schedules were longer. There was apprentice often two assistants on, on the show. I, that's, I was able to come in as an apprentice for, I think initially I did, uh, it's like three months on Philadelphia, and then I did another two on um, Pelican Brief. One mixed at Sound One, and the other one mixed at Tadeo, if I'm remembering correctly, and so I got to see those two facilities. As the apprentice, I got to go up and see the picture department. That was interesting as well. Kind of Craig McKay was a picture editor in Philadelphia, and he was a really sweet guy, and we would sit and, and talk and let you see kind of what's going on a little bit, which is nice. And the crews were large through the 90s. I guess in the early 2000s, there was a bit of a slump in the city. Not much, but a little bit. Things, certain things changed. How long has it been since San Juan has closed its doors? Tadeo went away. They, they lost their lease. That building got knocked down and turned into some high-rise thing. And then San Juan finally closed up shop a few years back. So things have shrunken. People that were all central in certain areas moved a bit. So there's probably more sound houses now than there was you know, back when I started. And there's more moving about. Schedules are shorter. The technology allows for you to own your own equipment I have a studio up where I live, and so I can work in a 7-1 environment up there and come up with my ideas. And kind of what you were saying before, sometimes it's, depending on the project, I might do a lot of it there. And other times it's like, I'm all, I'm, I'm it, you have to, it, again, it has come back down to what's best for the project. 
will the project allow it? Is New York a kind of place where everybody's buddies or is there jealousy going on or anything like that? I think for the most part, everyone actually kind of likes everybody else. And we, we bump around enough to each other's studios that, you know, you're kind of looking out for each other to some degree. I mean, you're going to go up against, you know, your friends at certain points for, for certain jobs. And if you're freelance, like myself, sometimes a studio has a job and they come and they, they ask you to be part of it, you know, or a supervisor who's already has, that's connected to that facility, that facility says, hey, will you come and work with me on this? Or, or other times I might have a project and I go to say, hey, can we put this thing together here? So you're moving around enough that it's, you're kind of helping each other out. And when I don't get a project and it goes to somebody else, it's usually like, well, that's a, you know, that's a good person. They're, they're going to have a good job with that, that I, I think. New York is not so large. It's, you know, it's a tenth of the size of L.A., if I have my math right, and union members at least or something like that. There's a lot of work going on right here at this point, but it's not the same size as L.A. So, I mean, people that work well, we, we keep hiring each other and we keep trying to, you know, we want each other to succeed. Is what I, at least that's my, my feeling of it. It's like we... I, I want all my, my friends and coworkers to succeed and, and have nice projects to work on. And, uh, and if I can hire them on for something that I'm working on, great. And if they can hire me for something that they're working on, that's all the better. And I don't, you know, for me, it's like, I don't need to be the supervisor on every job. I know, you know, I'm happy to be an editor for somebody else. And, and if I am the supervisor, I'm, if they want to come and work with me, that's, that's fantastic. And so that, that works out nicely sometimes. Yeah, it sounds like a uh, good creative environment to be in, for sure. Um, so you worked on the film Love and Mercy. Yeah. I read an interview that you gave somewhere else online about how the uh, sound collages that you had to build when you kind of goes inside his head. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that the director kept saying that he wanted it to build more. And that the way sometimes you approach that was you would just take a break for a few days and then come back to it. Yeah. There's two main sections that we kind of worked at on that. The first one is the opening over screen black. Atticus Ross was the composer, and he was able to get all the original recordings from the Beach Boys master tapes, and so he would pitch accordingly to make them so they would work together. And he came up with an initial build of many different stereo elements that he would give to us. And then we would sit there figuring out how to play stuff around the room. We had a lot of fun with it. Chris Jenkins and I sat there in the mix for a, a good day moving that. <laughs> Eugene Garrity is our, 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 effects, our effects guy. He didn't have anything to do that day while we, uh, while we sat there and we played around and we moved it all over the place and found it kind of what we liked. And then Bill, the director, he came in with all these additional outtakes, an hour's worth of just Brian Wilson on the talkback mic telling people how things should go and how things, he goes, let's try and work this stuff in. I, I like this and this and this and then I listened through and pulled a few other stuff and we, we put it in. So we, we just sat there and we would sit and we'd audition all the different pieces that Atticus had built, uh, had made, and, you know, Chris would have an idea and I'd have an idea, we'd slide stuff around, we'd move it a bit and try and create that, continuing that build, and use the 7-1 environment that we were, we were mixing in. We'd get done with a pass and, and he'd be like, that's great, and, and, then, and then we'd go on to something else and he goes, maybe we can revisit that again. So we'd come back and, we, and we'd, we'd work on it a little bit more and trying to, to squeeze the most out of that we can. So that, that was a, in that regard, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of initial uh, editing and then more editing on the stage and then placement of our elements. That was definitely cool. And then the other thing that I really enjoyed about that project was trying to figure out how to get from our actors or the wrecking crew there, the guys that are the actors playing the wrecking crew into the actual wrecking crew takes and how you merge one into the other. You know, 
speak with the voice or, or the musician, uh, where you make those change, or if you combine them and how, how that, that, that works. And so that was a lot of fun. Do you find that you're at a point in your career now where you're not worried about your next gig? You're confident that something's coming down the road? <laughs> um, <laughs> until I don't, and then, <laughs> and then I'm very nervous. <laughs> until there isn't something, and then you're like, oh, what's going on? It's, I, I think that's that's my, my, my nature or, hu or human nature. That hopefully I'm agreeable enough to work with and people like working with that something else will, will come along. And the folks that I get it to work with, I really enjoy working with. I think they're a fantastic group of people here in New York. And uh, I feel you know, just lucky to, to be with those guys and, and get a chance to work with them in all the shops around the town. So. Cool. I think that's a good note to wrap it up on. All right, very good. <laughs> Happy. <laughs> so thank you very much oh, you're for coming very well. on the show. Absolutely. And uh, good luck on all your projects in the future. And thanks for uh, giving us your time today. Thank you. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. A big, huge thanks to Nicholas Renback for sitting down with us. After we finished doing that interview sit-down, we got a tour of the studio and hung out with him a bit, and uh, he was just a great guy to hang out with. So thank you to him, and also thank you to Teresa Morrow for uh, coming to New York City on that trip with me. I don't think we heard her in this interview, but she was there just hovering around us with her spirit and aura. So thank you a lot, Nicholas. Hopefully we'll see you again soon. I'm still just utterly jealous of both of you for even getting to go make that trip. It's just, it's burning me up. Like I, I need to go do it at some point. Yes, we will have to do. If I, if I ever get to the West Coast, you'll have to join me on a trip to the West Coast. That's what, that's going to happen. It will. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks to everyone who listens and participates in the show. Thanks to Stacey Dupas for letting us bend and twist her voice on our bumpers. You can follow the show at the Tonebenders on Twitter, and you can go to ToneBendersPodcast.com to leave a comment. So you can support the podcast by shopping at ToneBendersPodcast.com slash Amazon or ToneBendersPodcast.com slash BH. Thanks, Tim. We'll see you next time. See you next time, Renee. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Tone Benders. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you listen on iTunes or Stitcher, please write us a review while you're there. To support the show, go to ToneBendersPodcast.com and click through our Amazon link or leave us a tip. You can also download and listen to our entire show archive there and leave a comment on our site or on SoundCloud. Keep up to date by following at the Tone Benders on Twitter or find Tone Benders Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Email us with your questions and ideas at info at tonebenderspodcast.com.